Our reading this week comes from the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I've never really known what it was like to not feel like I'd live a nice long life. I just sort of always assumed. My grandparents lived into their hundreds. Um, I've always lived in safe places such as this that are boring for the good reasons. Um, I don't know. I've just sort of always assumed that I would live a nice long life, um, a nice full life, and never really thought much about it. And then There's just been this last year um, seeing all of the families in Ukraine fleeing from one side of a country to another, um, fleeing generational homes for places of safety. I mean, we've seen the terrorist attack on Israel and the response and now the war in Gaza. And we see normal families, people like me with six-year-olds and and lives who just want to go to work and have a little bit of peace, suddenly probably having a very different experience of the world than I have. I imagine, um, I can try to empathize that there are people in this life who know what it feels like to not know if they will live a nice long life, or if their kids will, or what will come next. And in the middle of all of that, I think it is so easy to, to feel a lot of feelings, to have a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, anxiety. Maybe it comes out in rage, maybe it just comes out in resignation, and we can imagine all of those feelings that we would have if we were in those places where everything is out of our hands and suffering is all around and uncertainty is paramount. I don't know what that experience is like. I've never experienced that. But I can, I can empathize. I can try to connect to it just a little bit. This writing that Paul writes in Philippians, this letter to the Philippians, is called Paul's Letter of Joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I mean, the whole four chapters are just full of rejoicing and joy, gratitude for the Philippians and their time together. It is a letter that stands out among all of Paul's letters for just being something that feels great. And Paul, while writing it, is in prison waiting for his execution. He has been imprisoned for sharing the gospel and working the authorities and all. That's a whole other long backstory. But long story short, he does not know what awaits him. He is not certain that he will live a full, long life. In fact, he's pretty certain that the opposite is true. And that is when he pens this letter to the Philippians, this letter of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, dripping with gratitude. And one has to ask, how? How can someone be grateful when they face such trying circumstances? How can someone be grateful when they have such an 
obvious amount of uncertainty looming over them with every step. How possibly can we be grateful when we are not sure what tomorrow will bring or what our fate might be? How does Paul channel and tap into this moment? Well, he's extraordinary, right? Though, like three nodding heads. I, Paul, um, just to clarify my own perspective, I think is probably one of the most ordinary people um, we can possibly imagine. He has a long legacy. A lot of people are familiar with his works because we included them in Scripture. They were inspired and part of our Bible. But um, let's be clear, Paul is just a guy. And Paul has not even always been a really nice guy. Actually, Paul was one of the original persecutors of Christianity, um, and not like in a sort of, I disagree with you, let's have a conversation kind of way. No, like in a, let me kill you and all those who believe like you um, kind of way. I mean, Paul was violent and vengeful caused a lot of families to be on the other side of that situation of uncertainty and wondering if today would be their last day. Um, It's really easy to empathize with all of the people who Paul caused to suffer because of his surety and certainty in his religious convictions. That should be a conviction for us because what happens is he encounters Jesus in this dramatic way. It's another story for another day, but it changes him. It causes him to embrace, instead of of certainty and conviction, which leads to violence and vengeance, a sense of humility, of learning, of growth. It is a turning point. It's not a turning point in his clarity or his ability to, to know all things perfectly and recite them to us in letters. No, it is a turning point, I think, in his ability to be honest with himself and all those around him, that he has not figured things out, but by the grace of God, he's working on it. And God has gifted him the opportunity to stumble his way through life and figure it out. And that is where we get all of these writings of Paul. And some of them are really problematic because Paul wrote a lot. Anybody write a lot for a living? Speak a lot for a living? Do anything a lot for a living? And we do things and we say things that we did not think about, even when we're in front of a bunch of people. We do things and say things that are not fully formed because we heard somebody else say them. We pass them along. Just because Paul's letters are included in our canon or part of our scripture does not mean Paul is not a human. And it does not mean that there are things that Paul has and what Paul has written that we struggle with today. There's a song that I really love. It is one of my new favorite songs. Um, I'll throw it up on Facebook so you can listen. Um, it's this artic, uh, artist called Derek Webb, and he um, wrote this letter to Paul. And I love it because he basically says, Dear Paul, if only you knew those five words were going to cause all of this to happen in the church, you probably would have reworded your phrase. It's genius. It is just so good. The whole thing is just like, oh, I know you meant well, but we have been able to militarize that and practice violence and vengeance based on those short little things that were like the Paul of old, not the Paul of old of the New Testament, of our, of our scripture and story. I mean, Paul is a complicated and, and broken individual who does a lot of great things and has a lot of insight and, and theological wisdom about who God is and who Jesus is. And also Paul is like us and sometimes messes it up despite all of his good characteristics and traits. I mean, Paul is super normal, which makes it all the more extraordinary that in prison while waiting his execution, he is able to pen his letter of joy, a letter dripping with gratitude for his life, for the Philippians, for all that God has done with him through Jesus. I mean, 
think about you in, in any sort of situation of mild adversity. I have all sorts of moments where I have to wait a little too long to get through the grocery store line or to like turn left out of my driveway and I just lose it. Imagine in the middle of the uncertainty of your own life being able to have such a sense of gratitude and joy, which begs the question, how on earth is this even possible? How does Paul get there? Anyone familiar with Malcolm Gladwell? The whole 10,000 hours thing? It's pretty like out there at this point. It's been around long enough that now people fight over whether it's true or not. Not really the point, but um, the premise that I like, whether it's true or not, is that it takes 10,000 hours for someone to become an expert at a skill. Sounds about right. I mean, he looks at like classical musicians and in the kinds of people where we know it just takes a lot of time and energy and effort, but really our whole lives are spent practicing skills. And we all know that the older we get, the more experiences we have, the longer we do something, the better we get at it. Unless it starts. I don't know why. It just never improves. Um, But most things, we can point to most things and say that practice does change our skill and ability to do something. It just makes sense. It's intuitive. I think that's why it was so popular. Um, And whether it's 10,000 hours or 7,000 hours or 20,000 hours or it's just a nice idea beside the point, the point is that even though some of us will be extraordinary, will be put on this earth as a musician able to just pull up any instrument and make some sound and noise that sounds pretty. No one, even the most skilled and naturally gifted of people in any particular thing, gets great at it by just sitting around. It takes practice. It takes work. It's a lot of time. I mean, 10,000 hours, that's like a whole full-time job for a year or more. And most of us have another full-time job, so you got to space that out a little longer. Maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 15. And that's just to become an expert. That's not really to like sink into that place where you can enjoy it. Gratitude's a funny thing, because I think all of us feel like we should be experts at being grateful. That's our job. Anybody else as a kid have a birthday and a bunch of presents show up from a bunch of relatives that you were thankful, showed up to give you all the presents that you got, and then a parent, uh, no, my mom, would always say, you need to write thank you notes to all of those people who gave you all those birthday presents. And what did we do? Almost all of us. Oh, I'll do it later. I mean, I'm thankful. I'm glad. I'm playing with the things. Clearly, I like it. But for whatever reason, it is so hard to sit down and say, thank you, Aunt Carol, I don't know what it is that convinces us, that sinks into our heads, that causes us to think we should be perfectly grateful and thankful right out of the box, that we are fully formed as experts in gratitude and thankfulness. It's not true. It's like everything in life. Some of us may be better at it than others. You know that person that just sends nice little notes all the time, and you just think, ah, I sort of hate that because it's great, but I can't do it. (laughs) That person who just sends you like that text or that thoughtful note, just think, thinking of you, how are things going? Like, oh, I should have done that first. Like, you're the one in the hospital, not me. I don't, oh. What is it about gratitude that makes us think we should have been experts from the beginning and then constantly beating ourselves up about not doing it right, not doing enough, not being thankful enough in the right ways? Because after all, if we we're supposed to be experts, then we are really falling down on the job and we are not perfect 100% of the time. 
It's weird, isn't it? Nothing else in life do we have this relationship with. A thought that we need to be experts without any work or practice. And I love that Paul is the one to write this letter of joy, this treatise of gratitude for the Philippians, because Paul is the perfect example of someone who works really hard to get where he ends up. He is not fully formed. He does not know exactly what he's supposed to think. He struggles and wrestles, sometimes out loud with his thoughts, which is sort of the beauty of our scripture. It's less certainty and more stream of consciousness, an ability to wade into all of the practice and the trials and the challenges that led Paul to this place where he's able to write this letter from a true sense of peace, of gratitude, of joy but it takes a lot of time to get there. Thousands of hours of work and effort. And it's such a good reminder for us that our task as people also called to experience and share gratitude in this life is to not feel guilty that we're not experts or perfect, but to realize that we have a lot of practicing to do. Thousands of hours ahead of us. Maybe our practicing never ends. Maybe we're never truly as expert as we would like to be, so we continue to work at it, not to feel poorly about our efforts, but instead to see them all as stepping stones to getting better, to improving, to channeling some sense of gratitude in our lives that is a little more natural and innate and comes with a little less guilt and a little more peace. And I always think, um, if I'm not good at gratitude and it's something I need to practice, what are the things that I am really good at? This is like a good way to, to figure out how to make this bridge, right? I'm really good at getting frustrated. I'm super good. I have put in more than my 10,000 hours getting frustrated in life. I can go from zero to apocalyptic in about 30 seconds. I just need the right input, and I know how to create that feedback loop. I know how to take one tiny little thing and let it stick in my head and simmer there all day long, over and over and over again. Anybody else really good? At getting frustrated, you put in the time, you are expert. And what do we learn from all of that practice, getting frustrated, that maybe allowing a little bit of gratitude to get stuck in our head on a feedback loop is one step, one practice that we can do as people trying to get just a little closer to expert and joy. And maybe when we have a moment where we just are holding the coffee and the sun is streaming in, the other day I'm down at the corner cafe and I felt like a cat I was in the window and the sun was just like warming me up and I just wanted to like take a nap right there on my pancake. Like it was the perfect moment. Why can't that be the thing that we practice getting stuck in our head? When things go wrong or that email comes in or that unexpected situation pops up to channel that moment, that feeling, to allow ourselves to allow that to play in our head on loop, on repeat again and again and again. Another thing I'm super good at, um, I'm really good at getting anxious and worked up about stuff. Anybody? Great at anxiety and, and like just needing to like resolve situations. I have put in my 20,000 hours on getting worked up and stressed out over things, mostly out of my own guilt that I didn't do a better job or get them done on time or all the roosters are coming home to ro- whatever it is. I am really good at, at getting to that point where I feel like I have dropped the ball on everything in life. And um, in all of my practice of being anxious, I've learned um, that the easiest way to get really upset and anxious and frustrated about something is to lose my perspective. When the thing that I haven't done right or needs to get done is the only thing that matters. 
I had a week this week. I probably worked 60 hours. I don't know. It was a crazy long week. We had a lot of stuff going on. It's been all good. Um, excited to do it. A lot of things happening. And the one thing on my list I never got to. I didn't do it. And that was the only thing all week that I thought about. The only thing that I worried about getting done, it was the thing that weighed on my head every time I sat down at my computer or was out doing something else that was more fun. I felt guilty about enjoying myself or doing another project that was just as good and important as that one because I wasn't doing that all week long. I was just so stressed out and just stuck in this moment of wondering, when am I going to get to that? But I don't want to get to that, so I'm going to go do this thing. Anyone else feeling this right now? I'm really, really good at losing perspective. I have practiced that so much. So maybe then, a practice of, of gratitude to, to channel our, our inner, inner Paul to work at this means to remind ourselves each and every moment with just a little perspective that it's really not about us. God has this world and us and everything in it, and we are bumbling our way through, but it doesn't all hinge on what we do or don't do that we can take a deep breath, that we can center ourselves, that we can allow the warm light to warm us up for a minute and not feel guilty that we're taking a break or that we're doing something else that's more fun. Maybe that's a practice uh, of expanding, not contracting our mindset when we start to feel so locked in on a situation or a problem or a tragedy or an uncertainty to instead step back and remind ourselves, oh, it is a big, beautiful world with a whole lot of people to carry the weight, and we are able to just be one of them. I mean, Paul reminds us in his letter of joy, this letter dripping full of gratitude, that gratitude is something we work at. It is a beautiful chore to labor over, to try to become expert at innate thankfulness, a knee-jerk ability to gain some perspective, a built-in mechanism that reminds us that what we are doing is not the most important thing. The most important thing is stepping back and realizing that we are here. We have breath. We are alive. We are good and, and beautiful and wonderfully made and connected to this big, beautiful world. And, oh, all the other stuff? It's gravy. May we, as we explore gratitude for the next month, realize it starts by working at it. And we don't start from scratch. We have worked on, we have practiced, we have become expert on a lot of things. May we dig into them and learn lessons about how we got so good at being frustrated or, or anxious or whatever it is and try to extrapolate from that some ways that we can now channel that into practicing gratitude. Reminding ourselves that even like Paul, as we sit in the middle of uncertainty, with feelings wondering what is in store for us or those we love next, that we are still able to have joy, to find peace, to share thankfulness with God and one another. Amen?